Let's do that hockey. Welcome, everyone, to Dauber Prospects Report. This is report number eight. I am Victor Nuno, and I'm joined by, of course, Peter Harling. And we are taking a break from the organizational ranks this episode, this report, to break down prospects who played a prominent role at the IHF World Championships. Before we get started, we have an announcement. The Dauber Prospects Report is a member of the Hockey Podcast Network. We're very excited to be part of the fantastic Army of Hockey Podcasts. Check out at HockeyPodNet for all the shows like this one, talking hockey from fantasy to team coverage, you name it. You can also use the DraftKings promo code THPN for listening to this show. We're on that in a bit. And more big news, the 17th annual Dauber Prospects report was released this week. Both Pete and I contributed to this, and the guide is the Bible for Dynasty managers with the lowdown on each NHL team's prospects, 500 prospects analyzed with upside, wait times, all kinds of analysis, top 100 NHL draft prospects, top 50 NHL prospects, and more. Get your copy on Dauber Prospects or Dauber Hockey in the shop. and. With that, Pete, I have to ask you, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Victor. I'm doing awesome. Really enjoyed watching some of those Memorial Cup games. Enjoying watching Stanley Cup. World Champions was great. It's There's a lot going on. It's good times. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing great. It was definitely an interesting Memorial Cup. I thought that the WHL teams were going to do a, do better than they did. I thought they were going to roll over the OHL and QMJHL teams, and it was quite the opposite. The Q was pretty dominant in that tournament, and that was it was a bit surprising. And even the Pete's did pretty well, so that was a bit surprising. And yeah, the the Ten Cup playoffs, of course, and the World Championships. So the World Championships, you know, some people may not watch these as often. I think sometimes, you know, they don't necessarily draw all the best players. And so it can be a little bit of a, you know, maybe not as exciting, but I think this year it absolutely was in particular, some countries like the U S took a lot of prospects. And so that was really fun. Sweden, Canada had a couple of really good ones and, and there was a lot of talent spread around with some youth that always gets us excited to talk about them. So that was this, the part of the stage. And even if, there isn't the primo NHL talent. The, there's always some interesting storylines. Even, you know, Finland had Mikko Rantanen and he really didn't do much. So sometimes even when the stars do show up, they don't they don't necessarily create the most lasting memories. Nothing like Latvia and what they did. So that was pretty fantastic. But let's let's get going with the guys that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about highlight a few of the guys that made an impact. And the first guy that we're going to talk about is the most valuable player of the tournament, Arturs Silovs, and he is Latvian. He was a 2019 sixth round pick of the Vancouver Canucks. He's six foot four, 215 pounds, just turned 22 back in March. He came to North America last season, struggled initially in the AHL, but this year he was much better, earned himself a call up into the NHL, made his debut, played five games. Had a 908 save percentage. So that was pretty good. It was 909 down in the AHL in 44 games and got into a couple playoff games there in the AHL as well. And, you know, roughly similar in underlying metrics to Colin Delia, who's a meh NHLer. It, with his first few games, I think that was a pretty good accomplishment for C Loves in that 
defense in Vancouver is nothing super exciting to write home about. And his hockey prospecting has him looking, you know, 20 to percent chance of being an NHLer. He's got some not super exciting comps. One of them that I like is Steve Shields, who was certainly a starter, maybe not the most exciting one, but he's in there. And there's some other guys that are maybe not super exciting either. But I wanted to mention that I talked to Kat Silverman of In Goal Mag, and she talked about how she was very interested in this prospect. This was before the tournament and how she would love to see Silovs play in front of a competent defense. And that happened at the World Championships. Latvia, his countrymen, offered him a very structured defense, predictable shot location, and that led to him having a 1.38 expected goal per goal conceded, which is an instat metric similar to goal save above expected. And when you look at the... I, I pull, I have a chart from Hockey Viz that, that puts his shot locations on there. And most of them are... Most, the goals anyways are all from really in tight, you know, no, no easy goals. All the stuff from above the circles are, you know, none of those went in. And so that I think really helped him. He was able to identify where the shots were coming from and it allowed him to have a really good tournament, seven and three record, 921 save percentage, 2.2 goals against and a bronze medal. He beat the Americans there in overtime. Of course, that was a little sad as an American, but it was really awesome to see that happen for the Latvians who had never earned a medal and never even gotten to the semis. And so that was pretty phenomenal for them. On his path to the bronze medal, he beat Czechia, Slovakia, Switzerland, who looked great in this tournament, Sweden, and the Americans. That's a pretty awesome resume for Silovs and then Latvia. And it turns out that, or, you know, Silovs this coming season, I mentioned Colin Delia earlier. The goaltending situation in Vancouver, well, you have your obvious Thatcher Demko, who was a bit injured last year, but I'm, you know he should be the backbone moving forward. Dealey is a UFA. I'm not sure that he comes back. And it seems very likely that unless they sign someone, Archer Silovs could be the backup there in Vancouver. And you know, based on his performance in this tournament, he might be earning himself a few more starts. Maybe he gets into 20 to 30 games, depending on how Demko's doing. That might increase his stock in fantasies. Hey, what do you think about that? Do you have a little bit more interest now in Arthur Silo? Yeah, actually a lot more. He's a player that I didn't really have much of a read or a file on at all going into this tournament. He barely cracked the organizational rankings that we did for Vancouver, where he ranked 11th overall. And I'm not sure that I ranked him. I don't remember, but I don't think I did. So... The World Championship is a fun tournament for prospect watching and scouting or analysis, whatever you want to call it. It's the big deal in Europe. So a lot of the a lot of the players who are prospects in Europe participate in this tournament. And there's been a number of goalies that have come out of this tournament in the past that really captured my attention and got my eye and made me invest in them in fantasy guys like Peter Morazic and Veni Vehalainen. Some of them pan out, some of them don't. This can be the pinnacle of their career. So his Fantrax rostership currently stands at 14%. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's gone up slightly since the World Championship started. But it's still quite low. So there's plenty of ownership opportunity here. And I think he's he's definitely on the radar now. There's still going to be a bit of wait time for him. I totally agree with all the points that you made where his resume looks pretty good coming out of this tournament. The teams that he beat, 
winning the bronze medal, MVP, the tournament, best goal, the all-star, all those things, the comps that he has, it's all very nice and pointing in the right direction. And it'll be interesting to see what he's able to do in the coming seasons and when he comes to North America and what he can do then. But yeah, he's definitely a player who's piqued my interest. So let's move on and let's let's talk about the next guy that we wanted to bring up, Victor, and that's Matt Coronado. We talked about him a little bit recently, but I think revisiting him after his performance in this tournament is justified. So he's a center winger prospect with the Calgary Flames, and he is 57% fan tracks rostered. He was the Flames consensus second ranked prospect in the OR rankings, which, which we talked about recently. He played two years at Harvard, posting back-to-back 38-point seasons over a point-per-game production at the NCAA level. He signed his ELC after his sophomore season and played in one NHL game. Didn't notch a point, but he had four shots on goal. The World Championship is a good measuring stick to see how we think he's going to do against elevated competition and at the pro level and so on as he's playing against players that are bigger and faster and stronger and you know he had a small sample size of that at the end of the season but this gives us a little bit larger sample size to judge him or gauge him on and he did not disappoint so 10 games at the world championships and he scored three goals and five assists for eight points for the team usa which is amazing and more importantly i think than the volume of points that he produced is when he scored and he scored some big goals and he played some big minutes and he looked NHL ready to me. So taking that context and trying to translate it to what it means to people who have him rostered in fantasy hockey, I think with the new GM and coach situation, and as we're recording this, I believe the flames have yet to name their new head coach, but Craig Conroy's the new GM there. I think it's safe to assume that the Flames might be looking to embrace a mini youth movement. They've got some really great prospects. And Matthew Coronado is at the front of the line with Dustin Wolf in terms of prospects who look NHL ready and are in line for NHL minutes. When he plays in the NHL now or later, count on a healthy dose of shots on goal. That's what you're going to get from Matt Coronado. He's a bit of a sniper this kid goal scorer his peripheral stats aren't much to write home about they're not that exciting 0.26 hits per game 0.36 blocks but he projects as a top six winger with you know tyler to foley comps and about a 30 to 40 goal upside in his prime and the dauber prospects reports it describes him as a blue chip prospect and someone who you should draft as soon as possible if you're in a prospects draft this is a bit of a recap on what we talked about on a previous episode, Victor, but did you have any other takeaways from how his performance panned out at the World Championship? And did it move the needle at all? We thought pretty highly of him going into this, but did it move the needle one way or the other for you after? Probably less than C-Loves and some of the other guys we're going to talk about, but certainly it reinforced to me the fact that he is ready. He's playing against men, against mostly professionals, and his Corsi in the world championships was 65%. That is massively tilting the ice in the other direction. He also had a positive net expected goals. And as you mentioned, he shoots a lot. It's not just that he's shooting and it's not creating dangerous chances. It is. And he's also not a liability defensively. He's very strong back checker. He's very fast. He is. Yeah, I, I agree with what you said. I can't imagine they keep him down any longer. He's got to be banging the door down. They have 
some decisions to make Calgary, you know, Trevor Lewis, Milan Lucic, Nick Ritchie, those guys are all UFAs, you know, maybe those guys don't come back and they give Coronado a role. Maybe they bring back some of them. Maybe they sign some new guys and block him. That would be unfortunate, but you never know exactly what they're going to do. It sure seems like he's ready. Vic Pelletier also seems ready. Connor Zary. So, you know, it's going to be a little bit interesting to see what they do, but Coronado is not as old as those guys, but he certainly seems as ready, if not more, just based on his performance here. So I really hope that he gets the opportunity and runs with it. But it did move the needle just a little bit. Just seeing him, how he performs against men, he's not afraid of the moment. He's not afraid of the stage. All right, so that's Coronado. We had talked about him. We tried not to do too many repeats, but we also didn't have a ton of options of certain guys to talk about because there weren't too many prospects in here. But one guy that certainly deserves discussion is Cutter Gauthier. Cutter Gauthier was Philly's fifth overall pick from 2022. He was someone too, at the end there, was a very fast riser in the consensus ranks a couple months before the draft. He was in the teens or 20s and he rose all the way to fifth. And part of the discussion was him being able to play center at the next level. And that hasn't completely happened this year, but it is, you know, that is going to continue to be something that we will watch. He is listed as a center right wing. I know Philly really wants him to play center. He didn't do it too much this year. He is a big, strong kid. He's 6'2", 200 pounds, basically just under that. And I just wanted to mention too his his face-offs. He didn't really take any for USA, but he took some at Boston College. He was not great at that. So that's something he's really gonna have to work at if he if he wants to be able to, if Philly wants him to be a center. But what he did do really well at Boston College is score a lot of points, 37 points in 32 games. That's pretty awesome for a freshman. And it was also after the World Championship. He took a break in the middle of the season, represented USA at the World Championships, had 10 points in seven games. And that really seemed to galvanize his season, turn things around for him. He helped the U.S. win the bronze medal there. And after, he he had a lot more points than he did before. He is someone who has quite a bit more assists than he does goals. And so... That was becoming a narrative for him. Like he's more of a playmaker. He maybe doesn't shoot as much. And the American coaches saw him in practices and said, wow, this kid's got a really good shot. He should use it more. That's what they asked him to do. That's what he did. He was shooting a ton at the world championships. He, his lowest shot total in the 10 games that they had played at the world championships was three, which he did a couple of times, but he had shot totals of seven, eight, nine, and 11 in different in four different games so he was really shooting a lot and it bore out too he ended up the tournament with more goals than assists he had seven goals and two assists so flip that narrative and so that was fun to see because certainly goals are more valuable than assists in most fantasy leagues and you know for these usntdb guys it's generally pretty hard to keep your star potential up after playing on what's basically an american all-star team that usntdp team but he was able to do that in his first NCAA season. He was able to raise his star potential from 25 to 26, which may not seem like a lot, but generally they go down substantially in their D plus one season. So that's really good for Cutter Gauthier. He raises NHL probability to 68%. And he's got a couple of interesting comps. You know, one of them's, you know, Tage Thompson, you know, American also took a while to become a star, but he's there. Henrik Sedin. Maybe that one doesn't fit as well, but Bobby Ryan is one that I think does 
you know, also played a little bit with that edge, with that physicality. But he's he's raising his PNHLE as well. He started off D minus one as a second liner, then moving up to a fringe first liner, and now he's basically looking like a first liner. His PNHLE is listed at sixty nine, so you know, seventy point player. That's pretty good. So we'll see what Philly does with him if they really try to make him into a center. That might actually be difficult for him if he really can't do that. That might stifle his development a little bit. But maybe they'll start him off at the wing but i think he's someone that this whole year has really raised his profile it's hard to raise your profile after being drafted fifth overall but i think some people were yeah maybe philly reached and early last season when he was struggling in college they were like see philly made a bad pick you know wasn't really that high upside and he really flipped the narrative towards the end of the season and then in the world championship when you're one of the best players on a team you know like the americans had after just being a freshman, that's pretty impressive. So he did impress me a little bit that way. And I think that really solidified that he is that strong of a talent. Did it change at all for you, Pete? No, not really. I already thought pretty highly of him. And in his draft year, I liked him more than the consensus. So I feel like it might sound a little pretentious, but I feel like the rest of the world opinions is starting to catch up to mine. Vindication! I didn't think he would have been drafted outside of the top 10. What I would like to see from him, given his size, is a little more physicality and aggression. I think that if he could develop that sort of hard hitting, even a a pesty kind of role in his game, that would just add so much value to him and move him from, you know, the kind of comps that you're talking about here, Tage Thompson. Bobby Ryan and put him up hot into a higher category, you know, like uh, Matthew Kachuk or Brady Kachuk kind of category. He's got the size and he's got the skill. I'd like to see him develop some of those other components of his game. And those might come around. You know, it's hard to do some of those things at college. There's no fighting at the college level. There's no fighting at international hockey. So he maybe just hasn't really had the opportunity to really explore that side of his game so much. And maybe being a, a broad street bully might foster some of those attributes. All right, so let's move on and let's touch on the next guy we wanted to talk about. That's Leon Gavonke. I believe that's how you pronounce his name. So this player is a bit of a curious case here. He's 24-year-old. He was the 2017 fifth round pick, 136 overall selection. So not a whole lot of draft pedigree here. Six foot one, 198-pound German right-shot defenseman. He played three seasons in the QMJHL, followed by four more years of development and paying his dues in the American Hockey League, posting a career stat line, 35 goals and 79 assists for 114 points in 207 games played. This is okay. Right? Those are decent stats for a defenseman. So this is a player that, that came from Europe, played seven years in North America, and never played a single game in the NHL, never got a cup of coffee. And quite frankly, he thinks he's earned it. There was a recent article in the Hockey News by Carter Brooks, which included some quotes from Gavanke. And I'll read those to you. They're as follows. He said, I'm definitely not going another year there. That's it now. And then he said, you never accept something like that. If you perform year after year and sacrifice yourself and then aren't even rewarded. I worked my ass off over there for years to put in German and wasn't rewarded. That's obviously frustrating. 
especially when I see who gets the chance. So this is a player who was drafted by the Winnipeg Jets and he's been developing with Manitoba. And I guess he feels like he's a big deal, even though he was drafted fifth round 136th overall and put up, I wouldn't say pedestrian stats with 114 points and 35 goals and 207 games. But, you know, he's not a lamplighter by any stretch of the imagination. So he also said, there is still hope that they will trade me. So he wants to play in the NHL, North America, but is this not going to be with the Jets? It seems like that bridge has been burned. Now, I'm not privy to what's going on in that organization, but it sounds like a lot of players and prospects in Winnipeg are pulling the old slapshot line, and he's one of them who wants to trade. Trade me right now! He signed a four-year contract to play with in Germany, and he's a restricted free agent. The Jets retain his rights, but to be honest, I'm not sure about those statements. Who does he think he is? His stats are good, but they're not screaming, send him to the NHL, right? We're not seeing Leon Gavanke fans tweeting free Gavanke on Twitter or anything like that. And who's getting the chances over him that he's so egregious about? Lee Hanola played 10 games. Kyle Capobianco played 14. Logan Stanley played 19. And Dylan Sandberg played 63. These are all likely more common household than Leon. I don't even know how to pronounce his last name correctly. Gavanke? What did he do in the world championship then that made him increase his trade value? He had three assists in eight games. And he's become a regular for Germany at the World Championship in the last three years. He's played for them every tournament. He's played in 22 games and has a whopping total of six points in that tournament. Help me out here, Victor. I did not rank Gavanke in the organizational rankings for Winnipeg. And you ranked him 10th overall for the Jets. So you feel a little bit stronger about him than I do. He's likely never going to play for them. But do you ever see him playing in the NHL anywhere? If Winnipeg will trade him, I think there's a decent chance. I think he's. It's frustrating, you know, sometimes there's these complicated relationships that teams have with these young players, you know, and I think that most young players do feel like they can, they earned things and maybe they don't, you know, we're not there. We don't know all the conversations, all the expectations, but what I can tell you is that he's been really good in the AHL and not just necessarily with points, but he's playing, he's for the last three seasons in the AHL for the Manitoba Moose, he's played big minutes, 22, 21 and a half and 20 minutes. And his Corsi suggests that he is absolutely dictating play. You know, he's in the 60%, 62, 63, 60%. He is really probably too good for that league. And does he deserve NHL opportunities? It's hard for me to say that. It, it sure seems like it compared to what he's done and what those other guys did in the AHL because most of those their numbers were not as good. And in terms of fantasy, I don't know how high his points upside is. I think he has modest points upside but and he doesn't hit a lot but he does block a fair amount you know there's some bash there shots are pretty decent like in the two to three a game range i think if he does get an opportunity with another team he could be you know at least a third pairing guy probably reasonably i don't know that he's ever going to run a power play maybe he gets up to second pairing he's someone that i've had some time for but certainly as you outlined the bridge is burned there with Winnipeg and maybe they'll just trade him and another team that's a little bit more desperate will give him an opportunity. He certainly, you know, professionally, he has done really well. He's basically half a point per game or better in his entire AHL career. And this last season, he was close to two thirds of a point per game. So 
That's pretty solid. That's but he is also much older. He's 24. And so you would expect older players to be better. So I guess there's that part too. Anyways, he's someone who, yeah, is maybe not that exciting, but he certainly helped Germany. You know, he helped Germany get to the get to where they, they got and he played an important role for them in the tournament. I referenced his Corsi in the AHL. It was just as good in this tournament against against really strong competition. So Anyways, but that's probably enough about Leon Gavanke. He's someone that in a very deep league, if you wanted to take a chance, if you're wondering what to do with him because he's playing overseas, you probably could let him go. But if you had a roster spot, you know, you could hold on him and see if he gets traded. Because if another team does sign him and bring him over, he could step into a role immediately. You know, he is the epitome of NHL ready. If another team wants to sign him and give him an opportunity, he would have zero wait time. And so that could be. That could be something. <laughs> His fan tracks roster ship is only 7%. And like I mentioned, I think there's a lot of players in Winnipeg that want to be traded. And there could be some teams with a lot of interest in guys like Connor Hellebuck and PLD and Blake Wheeler. And they might look to say, you know what? We'll make that deal. We just need you to sweet a little bit. Why don't you throw on, throw this guy in and you got a deal. So I could see him as a throw in in a trade. He's a useless asset to Winnipeg. He's never coming back there. That doesn't sound like they want him back. So I could see them saying, if that's what it's going to take to get this deal done, then let's do that. And then huzzah, you've got a guy with low fan tracks roster ship that's all of a sudden going from an NHL exile to a player who might be welcomed with open arms and have a whole new brand new opportunity and to be a solid bottom six pairing defenseman for you. There you go. Keep your eyes on Gavanke, is what I would say. Light the lamp during the hockey playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can make a $5 bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. Thursday, June 8th, Vegas Golden Knights plus one and Florida Panthers minus 120 on the money line. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with draft code THPN. New customers can make a $5 hockey playoff bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Scott Prunovich is the next guy we're going to talk about. And Prunovich, he's now 24. I would say his development arc has been erratic. He had a stellar NCAA career at the University of Minnesota Duluth. He missed the 2020-21 season with injuries and then was a COVID-shortened season. He played a little bit in 21-22 and 22-23, but had more injuries, which limited him to just 22 AHL games last season. He's currently clocking in at a 52 PNHLE. I don't know if I mentioned this already, but he's a defenseman in case you don't know that. He's a 5'10", 174-pound left-handed D for the St. Louis Blues organization. And so Team USA came calling because he was available. You know, this tournament generally brings some interesting names because it's like who's available and who wants to play and who does the countries want to play. So anyways, he ended up scoring eight points for the Americans, ended up playing a pretty decent role for them, eight points in 10 games. He was six on the team in time on ice. They shifted their ice time all around. So a bunch of guys got more ice time in certain games and less in other games. So being six for time on ice was pretty decent. There were a few regular NHLers on that team. And so they certainly got a little bit more playing playing time and others got you know less and so dylan sandberg actually was you to mention him as one of the 
as one of the Winnipeg guys. He's someone who got a little bit more ice time than he did. Anyways, so he got a pretty decent role. His hockey prospecting, which ended in a couple of years ago because it only goes to the D plus three season. And that was his second college season. He had a 39% chance of being a star. So really high star potential. He actually looks pretty similar to a couple of pretty high-end guys. One of them, Dan Boyle, who wasn't drafted, and a little bit smaller. Dan Boyle, 5'11", Scott Brunovich, 5'10", depending on who you believe. Some list him at 5'9", 5'10". He's a little bit smaller, for sure. And, you know, Boiler would be a pretty great outcome for him. His He did get into some NHL games this season, and so it's interesting to see what he did defensively, he was actually pretty good, which in the past has been an issue for Prunovich that he wasn't able to hang defensively. He didn't generate a ton of offense, but he was able to at least drive play in the other direction. He did get some power play time in which he actually had a pretty decent expected goal share, high expected goal share there. The big issue with Prunovich is the injuries. I think because he's smaller, he's an injury risk and he's had a labral tear. He'd had, he's had a wrist injury and I believe he broke his other shoulder not the one with the labrum. So he's had multiple pretty big injuries that have cost him significant development time. And it just seems like when he's out there, he is a risk to get injured. So that's a problem. Brunovich is an RFA. So the Blues really have to decide what they want to do with him. If they want to sign him to a decent contract, I think he'll get playing time if they do that. I think it's a little bit un- it's unclear what the Blues are going to do with him. I think to me, the biggest question is, can they have two guys like Tori Krug on their blue line? I mean, they have Justin Falk, who has, you know, decent size. Colin Pranko, who's huge. Nick Letty, you know, decent size. They got some other guys like Scandella Bertuzzo. Krug and him would basically play a similar role. More offensive, a little bit more sheltered. Can hang, but also just because they're smaller, might need, you know, a specific role. So I think that kind of makes it a little bit sketchy for him. But I think Perunovic does have a ton of upside. And if he gets that opportunity, you know, maybe they trade him, you know, and if he could go into a different system, that would be really interesting because he's someone who does have a pretty significant upside. And I think seeing him in this tournament for me did not necessarily completely shift my impression of him, but it was nice to see him perform at this high level because the only time we've seen him represent us was back in his D plus one or actually his draft season where he played at the world juniors. So it's been a long time to see him on this stage. And I think it was a little bit reassuring that, hey, he's still got it. He's still got some upside. But there are questions. Pete, what do you think about Prunovich here? And do you like his upside more than his risk? I'll tell you, I've been a really big Prunovich fan for years now. And I've I've held him in regards as one of the top defensive prospects offensively and fantasy relevant in the NHL for years now. And I'm talking like in the same kind of category as the Hughes brothers and Kale McCarr, right? He's been right up there. But after each injury passes and each year passes and time keeps ticking by, he becomes more and more like an afterthought, like Eric Brandstrom. And I'm really questioning if he can stay healthy. And if so, if he can break through. And what I mean by comparing him to Eric Brandstrom is he's another prospect who I held in super high regards. When he was traded to the Ottawa Senators from Vegas for in the Mark Stone trade, the perception at the time was he is an elite top five defensive prospect in the same category as those players that I mentioned. Like he was as same ranking sphere as Hughes and McCarr or just, or just below them. 
And those guys have gone on to become superstars in the NHL. And Eric Brandstrom is still struggling to carve out a role in, as an NHL regular. And, you know, I think the upside for Perunovic is that high. I think he can be a superstar and an elite offensive driver. However, you make some interesting and very real concerns with his health and, you know, his size and the role that he's going to play and how many teams can afford that kind of player on the same team. It was an interesting experiment at the World Juniors recently where the American defense was all sub six feet at the last tournament at the World Juniors, except for Luke Hughes. So they're all like 5'10", offensively gifted transitional defensemen. And for a while, it worked out well for them. But I think that was part of their undoing near the end as the competition got hotter and harder. With Tory Krug already there, it's interesting. I am still a believer in him. However, if I owned him in the fantasy league and I had someone who was willing to pay the freight that he was an elite A-level prospect, I think I'd feel more comfortable making that trade and take the return. If that was someone like Lane Hudson, for example, I'd do that deal all day long. Now, here's a segue. Let's talk about Lane Hudson. He was at the World Championship, and quite frankly, he looked pretty good most of the time. So there is a lot of sex appeal on this prospect in the prospect world right now. Five foot ten, allegedly. He's a Habs second round pick, pick 62nd overall, and he had a monster freshman year at Boston University for the Terriers. 15 goals, 33 assists, and 48 points in 39 games. So to put that into context, first of all, remember he's a defenseman. He scored well over a point a game. He's 18 years old, and at that age, that's better production at the NCAA level than Adam Fox, Quinn Hughes, or Luke Hughes, or even Brian Leach had. And the list goes on. In fact, there are only two or three players that did it better in the history of the NCAA, and that is Craig Redmond, who had 54 points in the 82 season, also five foot ten, interestingly enough, and Kurt Gillies, who had the same amount of points, 49 in 76, 77. But he did it as a sophomore at 18. I'm not sure how that works. And he was only five foot nine, coincidentally. Interesting side note there. He is the best defenseman in the NHL right now is the five foot 11 Kale McCarr. And in case you missed it, I just said Lane Hudson is five foot 10. Not much difference there, right? So everyone is poo-pooing on Hudson saying that he's just not going to be big enough to play in the NHL. I disagree with that. I don't think his height really moves the needle very much for me and, and my thought as to whether or not he can play in the NHL. Speaking of Kale McCarr, he was a freshman and he had 21 points in his NCAA freshman season. And he won the Hobie Baker as a sophomore and had 49 points. And just to recap what I said, Lane Hudson had 49 points as a freshman in his first year in the NCAA. So he's already outperforming Cal McCarr in college. He's a Hobie Baker finalist this year with his 49 points. Didn't win it. He lost it to Adam Fantilli. And I don't think too many people disagree with that decision, but he, I think he was very close second. He's going to be going back to the NCAA to play with his brother at BU. He also played for USA at the World Junior Championships, working his way up their depth chart at the tournament as the tournament went on. And he had four points in seven games there. But we're talking about Lane Hudson at the World Championship and what he did there. 
And it's it was a really important test for him. And how did he do? He scored there too. He posted six points in nine games. He really displayed his elite level skill in this tournament, showcasing his hand and footwork, his deception. He scored a really nice shootout goal against Germany. There is another highlight that was going through Twitter where he was just messing with the Germans playing keep away inside the offensive zone. He had a really great tournament. He showed he can be impactful at a higher level, and he's much closer to the NHL than the NCAA. However, unfortunately, many people's takeaway from Lane Hudson in this tournament will be how badly he was beaten on the goal against Germany that sent the Germans to the gold medal game and the USA to the bronze game. He just got turned inside out on a rush and didn't look like an NHL player on that particular play. You know, he's 18 years old. There's going to be some learning curves and those things are going to happen. And the upside far outweighs the downs or the negatives in his game, in my opinion. And that is sometimes some questionable defensive plays and being undersized. Victor, there's so much to love about Lane. And do plays like that German goal give you pause, concern, or are you all in on Lane Hudson like I am? I love him as well. But that definitely gave me pause. That wasn't awful. Not only did he not look like an NHL defenseman, he didn't look like a beer league defenseman. It was terrible. What are you doing? Like the game is on the line and he just basically gave the German forward a perfect lane to shoot. The goalie probably should have had that one. It was Casey DeSmith, I believe. But still, like he he could have played that infinitely better and gave given his goalie a way better opportunity, probably even just block the shot. So yeah, a little bit. Overall, though, you take the whole sample size of the tournament. And yes, he was great. Even some of his footwork on most plays, not including that one, was pretty good. Most of his skating, most of his gaps were decent. That's been a concern. Most of his in-zone defensive play was, you know, I think a bit better. Yeah, all in all, it was good. And you bring up a good point about the height. You know, if he's 5'10", 5'11", if he's 5'11", there's very little concern here with the with what he can do offensively and he's not you know five eight or five nine anymore like he was and so that should be less of a concern and you bring up an interesting point about the americans too there was one other guy who's taller and that's nick perbix who's like their only main nhler who was really there they had a couple guys that are tweeners or close but it did it it did point out this issue of if you have a bunch of smaller defensemen it, it can be an issue and it was for the americans at times. And that is something that is going to follow him around Lane Hudson. But I totally, I'm totally in with this guy. And you said, you know, if the Perunovic owner wants to give you Lane Hudson, I don't know why they would do that, but I would take that in a heartbeat too, for sure. There are not too many guys that I would want over Lane Hudson right now, just for the upside. If you look at the equivalencies, I've, I don't think I've ever seen this many stars on an equivalency for a prospect at Lane Hudson stage. Chris Pronger, Quinn Hughes, Cam Fowler, Brian Leach, Ray Bork. These are like Hall of Famers, right? Brian Berard, Tony D'Angelo. The least exciting ones, Patrice Brisebois is like the least exciting comp. <laughs> They're pretty much, it's hard to find a guy that didn't work out who's put up the numbers that Lane Hudson has. And you brought up some examples of some smaller guys who did it a long time ago. It is a different, faster... NHL with guys that a little bit, you know, smaller guys making a little bit more of an impact. But yeah, I definitely 
you look at the whole tournament and how he progressed in college, and it just gives me more and more reassurance that Lane Hudson is going to be a guy. And I did have a little quibble with the Kobe Baker. Not that I don't think Adam Fantilli deserved it, but Adam Fantilli had much more to work with at Michigan than Lane Hudson did. And what Lane Hudson did as a freshman, you know, historic numbers were really impressive. I think both guys deserved it. Not really that big of a deal, but yeah, he's he's really good. And But he probably needs, this is the issue with Hudson though, he probably does need two to three more years of NCAA AHL time before he's in Montreal playing for the Canadians. So that's that's the only downside, I would say. And if he continues to work on all these things, there was strong progression over the year. I think he will, he'll be just fine. And you should want him. <laughs> so the next guy we're going to talk about is Jesper Wallstedt. For my money, Wallstedt is the best goalie to have yet played an NHL game. So this is going to exclude some of the goalies that made their debut this season. You know, guys like Tarasov, Dustin Wolf played that one game. You had Lucas Dostal, one of my favorites, played a, you know, a few games. So Wallstedt, to me, is the guy now that can hold that moniker. He did really well in the AHL this season for the Iowa Wild, who are really not a great team. 1.4 expected goals per goal conceded. Again, that's that instead expected goals, Mark. That's one of the highest I've seen in a sample size that large. It was pretty incredible. Sweden, in this tournament, only turned to him for three games, and he was awesome. 947 save percentage, 0.67 goals against average is absurd. Although, to be fair... To be fair. To be fair. To be fair. To be fair. They were against Austria, Hungary, and Denmark. Denmark's a pretty decent team, but Austria and Hungary, no. Not the stiffest competition. You know, might it have been different if he played against Latvia and the U.S.? Maybe. Instead of Lars Johansson, who's, I don't think, anything to write home about, but certainly a little bit more of a seasoned pro. So that was kind of interesting. Talking about equivalencies, looking at Wallstedt's stats are absurd. Like, all of his comps are, <laughs> like, basically superstar goalies, Ilya Sorokin, you know, Evgeny Nabokov, who had a pretty great career, Dominic Hasha, Hall Famer, Simon Varlamov, who, you know, had his moments, of course. Most of them are... Pretty fantastic. And then some guy named Andre Vasilevsky, who he has a pretty similar equivalency to, which is ridiculous because we know how good Vasilevsky... Anytime you bring Vasilevsky into the conversation, you have to just ask yourself if you're being honest because he's so amazing. But yeah, Wallstead, you know, isn't is not necessarily the same kind of goalie. He's definitely more structured and more, you know, positionally sound, has really good movements. Vasilevsky has that and amazing athleticism which i don't think Wallstead is quite on that level but still he has really high upside i think there's not a goalie that you should want if you're not quite ready to compete but maybe you're ready in you know two to three years if you have a team like that pete how hard should you go after Wallstead? what do you think about that i i have him on one of my competitive rosters and i think he's not that far off from being a contributor you look at his road to the NHL and Mark Andre Fleury is there as probably the starting goalie for this coming season, but he's getting pretty gray in the beard. And if he can hold on to that position for the balance of the season and play a significant role for Minnesota and be an impactful goalie, that would be impressive. But I think the changing of the guard might come even before that contract expires at some point this season. I really like the fact that. They let him 
play an entire season in the American Hockey League last year. And I think that's where he's going to start next year as well. And I think he is just around the corner from getting a heavy workload of games on what is projecting to be a pretty decent Minnesota team for the foreseeable future here with the players that they have and the prospects they have coming. I really like his situation. And I think, you know, if you have an opportunity to roster him on your fantasy league, you should do that. He's a blue chip player. You should draft as soon as possible, as we said in in the guide. Let's say you have a top pick in this year's draft, not Bedard, but in the two to four range. So you could get Carlson, Mishkov, you know, someone like that. Really high end, you know, take your pick after Bedard, Fentilli. Would you trade that pick for Jesper Wallstedt? No, probably not because, well, it would depend on your fantasy league, of course, right? And what the, the scoring parameters are and, and the size of the league and what players, what positions are rostered, how many are roster, and what the value of the positions are. But generally speaking, forwards, I think, are what really drives the engine fantasy hockey in fact there's the zero g strategy out there where you don't even worry about drafting a goalie in the early rounds of your inaugural draft you figure that out later because because goalies can be voodoo you never know they live in they don't live in a vacuum right they're dependent on the roster in a lot of places so it's really hard to predict with certainty what sort of impact a goalie can have from season to season there are very few who regardless, you know, are going to be money. And Wallstock might be one of those guys. He might be one of those guys that doesn't matter who's playing for his team or what team he's on. He's going to be money and he's going to give you deliver stats and be an impactful player. But it's easier to predict forwards. So in terms of that caliber of an asset, given how quality the top of the 2023 NHL draft is, generally speaking, I would say, no, I'd rather have a shot at Fantilli or Carlson or Mitch Cobb or one of those guys before I invested on pretty much any goalie, to be honest. I would generally agree with that if the league was maybe 14 teams or less, because generally in that size of league, you can find a goalie. Some of these leagues that I'm in that are 18, 20, you know, 30 teams, you can't find a goalie. And that type of asset, like having the next Andre Vasilevsky is way more valuable than a point per game skater. And that's how much I believe in set. I probably would make that trade in a deep enough league because I believe in him that much. And I think the wait time is probably similar. I think it's probably even going to help you sooner than maybe not Fentilli, but Mishkov certainly and Carlson, maybe those that's probably similar, but that's the only caveat in general. If it's a shallow enough league, I would, definitely opt for the skater and just try to, like you said, find a competent goalie because they tend to pop up out of nowhere. We talked about Archer Stilovs. There you go. He might be the next one. You never know. Yeah, never know. All right. So let's move on. Let's talk about another player. And this might be one that I think you and I might be a little bit opposed on our views on. So let's talk about David Reinbacker. Six foot two Austrian right shot D has played his way into the top D ranking for the 2023 NHL draft on a lot of folks drafts list. He's the number one D he's ranked as consensus 16th overall and as high as eight and as low as 20th, depending on whose list you're looking at the Dauber prospects scouting team has him ranked right at the consensus at 16. He's played internationally for Austria at the world junior championships, the world championships, and he's played well. In those tournaments, too. He's looked good. 
he doesn't really pop for me as a dynamic offensive defenseman and his peripheral stats are good, but not great. I don't know, Victor. I'm not sure I'm seeing the love for this player that high in the draft. I'm just not sure what dynamic elements he's going to bring that will translate to fantasy. I see he's got size. I see he can skate. He's got some skill, but he looks more like a 3-4 guy than a 1 or even a 2D to me. And that's way too early in the draft for me for that level of upside. I get that there's not a lot of defense in this draft, and so that elevates his value by necessity, the scarcity of, of D in this draft compared to the quality of the forwards that are available. But a guy that projects as a 3-4 at best and is probably a couple of years away, I'm not really I'm not really excited to get that on my roster, and I'm not going to pass over players that could be a top six offensive winger in order to acquire this guy. Am I missing something? Is there something on this file that that and I'm not seeing that other people are? Help me out. Probably no is the answer to that question. I think you bring up some good points. And as you mentioned, in the real NHL draft and in real NHL value, defensemen like him have more value than we would necessarily consider in fantasy. So this is something that is always an issue and it's always difficult to try to figure which one of these guys that have gone relatively early should we just not care about in fantasy because it's probably not going to move the needle too much. Reinbacher is interesting though because he has played in a really strong professional league in his draft season in Switzerland, which is a really strong league, nearly half a point per game. There really just haven't been guys that have done that. So it's a little bit hard to project what he can be like. He's very mobile. He's very good both ways. He has pretty good offensive instincts, but I'm not sure that he's flashed it a whole lot. And this might be starting to sound to some people like another defenseman who the Red Wings picked a few years ago, and people have probably heard this comparison, but Moritz Seider is someone who a lot of people are comparing David Reinbacher to. One is Austrian, one is German. So it's not exactly the same, but they both played outside of their country in strong professional leagues in their draft season. Sider, of course, had a massive step forward after his draft year and was just incredible for Rogla and really turned things around, came to the AHL and was there, came to the NHL and just seemed like he discovered a lot of offense that wasn't there initially. And there are people who think that can happen. I know David St. Louis at Elite Prospects, who does these great videos, is really high on Reinbacher and sees some parallels there. but. It's also, I think Mort Sider is a bit of a unicorn. I don't think most many guys are going to do what he did and just blossom into this top pairing beast of a defenseman. So the odds are, I, I would say, against Reinbacher doing that. If you just look at the equivalency numbers of PNHL, of NHL equivalency, Reinbacher is miles ahead of where Sider was at this stage of his development. Of course, he took a massive step forward in his D plus two and then even more massive in his D plus three season when he was in the NHL. That would be hard for anyone to replicate. And so it's possible though. I think the take home point though, Pete, is that someone who is such a likely player to be an NHLer, sometimes in their draft season, they have to work so hard just to be competitive in the league that they're in that they don't get to flash a lot of that offense. And so while it may be unseen, it can appear later. Like it was always there, but they weren't really, they didn't really have the flexibility, the bandwidth to, to show it. And so that's something that I think Reinbacher could have. I think it's a bit risky. 
to take him that high. Like in a fantasy draft, I don't know that I'm taking him that early. I think there are a lot of forwards I would want ahead of that. But I do think that when you start getting into the, you know, eight, nine, 10 range, 11, I think it's reasonable just because you have such a security. I mean, you think about some of the other guys like Sandine Pelica, you know, he has a far less secure, you know, likelihood of being an NHLer just because of his size and the fact that he doesn't defend as well. Someone like Lucas Travis Dragasevich, who has such an off- awesome offensive upside, but basically doesn't play defense, that is going to be a huge problem. So there's definitely some potential issues there with some of those other guys and the safety of just taking someone who you know is going to play and could develop some offense that is just not really too much there right now is 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 possible. So I do I do like Rambacher. I think that that it's going to be tricky to kind of place all these defensemen. And the other general thing I'll say about this draft is it's just really not the best draft to take defensemen. Their last years were way better and this year you can put pretty much the top four or maybe even five defensemen taken last year. And I think they would all probably fit ahead of all the defensemen this year. So it's not the best time to do that, but NHL teams are going to do it. They're going to take probably two to three in the top 10, just because they always do. And it's like, you have to know which ones to avoid. I don't know that I would say Reinbacher is one to avoid, but I do agree with you that there is some risk there in terms of just not really knowing what his true upside is. Yeah, I'd rather at that range, I'd rather take someone like Wood and then later on in the second or third round, take someone like like Bonk. I think Bonk has similar fantasy upside that Reinbacher has. Less certainty to make it to the NHL for sure, but that's that's a risk I'll, I'll take all day long because you think about the comparison that you'll get in the forward value with later on in the second and third round is, is significantly diminished too. So that's just the way I kind of view him so i think we're, we're we're not too dissimilar there i'm not saying he's a terrible player uh, i'm just saying you know wow 16th overall i'm not seeing that he's gonna go earlier than that i think yeah personally but yeah i mean bonk is bonk has the best name it's like he's in uh he's in a batman comic and spam bonk right like when he hits somebody it's gonna, <laughs> it's gonna be fantastic but anyways, let's let's move on to the next guy. JJ Paterka is the next guy we're going to talk about. And Paterka, Buffalo's 34th overall pick back in 2020, 5'11", 192 pound left wing. He's now 21 years old. Probably one of the best motors of any young player in the game. He just go all the time. He played the whole season with Buffalo. So it's kind of unusual that we talk about these guys who actually have been playing in the NHL. He didn't really make a huge splash, 20... Sorry, 32 points in 77 games for a 34-point pace. He was playing just under 14 minutes a night, though, so not a huge role. Very little power play time. He did end up with five power play points. The other issue with J.J. Paterka is he doesn't really do bash. In his 77 games, he had only 125 shots, so that's way under two a game, only 18 hits and 10 blocks. So you're not really getting a whole lot of peripheral coverage there. But I personally just think there's more there. He had... An interesting line. He was with Jack Quinn and Dylan Cousins. And I think that line a year or two from now is going to be really good, but they're just not quite there yet. And none of those guys were great defensively. And it's interesting that he that they were kept together because all of them have some defensive liability issues, especially Cousins and Quinn. So he was asked to be the more responsible one and struggled with that. I think it's a little bit too early to be asking him to do that. The one thing I will say for sure about Paterka, though, is that in cap leagues, 
you have two more seasons on his ELC and he's a full-time NHLer already. And so that's pretty massive value for value per dollar there for Paterka, especially if he can, what I think is take a pretty, pretty decent step forward this year and this upcoming year. It remains to be seen if that's actually going to be true or not, but it was interesting to see his development this year and see his usage in the tournament. I guess I should mention he was pretty awesome. He's German. I guess I forgot to mention that. And 12 points in 10 games, evenly split between goals and assists. That's that's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome production there. And yeah, he you know took him almost all the way to the gold medal there. And he was great. You know, really big time player, really showing up when the team needed him. And he was, you know, a big part of that run. So I like Paterka. I'm not saying that he's going to be like a point per game player or anything like that. But I think that 34 point pace is, I think, low for what he can achieve. I think he could yeah, probably at least close to double that. What do you think, Pete? He's an interesting prospect. He's coming out of Germany, so he's a little under the radar. He's only a second round pick by Buffalo. You know, his fantasy stock has been volatile. And at that point, it wasn't super high. And then he comes over to North America and kicks the front door down in the American Hockey League with 68 points in 70 games. Too good for the American Hockey League, so they promote him to the NHL. Plays 77 games with the Sabres and scores 32 points. Minus 15, you know, stock's going back down in the opposite direction. He gets about 13 minutes of time on ice. It's not really doing much in terms of peripheral stats with, you know, and 10 blocks and 18 hits and not in a game. That's in the entire season. You know, if he's not scoring, he's not doing anything for you in terms of stat wise for fantasy hockey. And he only had 32 points in 77 games. God forbid your league counts plus minus. He was a minus 15, you know, almost useless. I think he's a very good player. Uh, you, you know, you said it. I like his motor. He's a rookie last season. So, you know, you give him a bit of a bit of a break there. Buffalo's a team on the rise and they got a, a number of really good players. I think they're going to continue to work with him to find ways to get him more effective. And I think as you know, as he gets a little bit more comfortable and confident in the NHL. I think you'll see some of those hit numbers and blocks go back up. Blocks are going to have to increase if he wants to keep a job as well in the NHL and playing a defensive role. It was good to see him go to the world championship and have a really strong tournament with Germany there. Be helpful with his confidence. 12 points, six goals, six assists in 10 games. That's great. So he's shown that he can score at you know, pretty much every level, but the NHL on a pretty consistent basis. So I, I think there's going to be an uptick in, in production on this file. Is 57% fan tracks rostered, I believe, uh, somewhere in that neighborhood. So there's areas of opportunities in a lot of leagues to acquire this player. And given the direction that I think both he and the team are trending in, that's a file that I got lots of time for. Let's talk about one more guy. We'll make this one quick because we've been going long, eh? So Don's Lockmels is another player that I kind of wanted to touch on. He had a pretty interesting tournament. Uh, Boston's 2022 fourth round pick, 119th overall. He's been playing in the J20 in Sweden for the last couple of seasons now. 59 points, 44 games to maintain his NCAA eligibility. He hasn't been playing pro at all. And he is committed to UMass. So he'll be headed to NCAA for next season. He's played for Latvia a couple times now. 
World Junior Championships at the World Championships and U18 in his draft year. He looked really good there. Yeah, he's looked pretty strong, actually, on what has been traditionally a kind of weak Latvian roster internationally. And he's been able to be one of their their better players. And at the World Championship, he kept pace there as well as one of the youngest guys. What's going to be interesting, I think, to see with this file is how he translates that at UMass, how well he adjusts to playing closer to pro hockey. There's, you know, there's going to be a, a big age jump that he's going to be playing in from J20 to the NCAA where the players were under 20 and now they're all going to be over 20 for the most part. And not only that, but you know, you've got the whole crossing continents thing playing in a different culture and, uh, and far away from home and the smaller North American and ice as well. His fan tracks roster ship is, is pretty low. He's a player that I would consider keeping an eye on. The Boston product means that there's not a lot of competition there for him to crack the roster. It's going to be some time. He's going to play a couple of years there and, and then in the NCAA. And I would count on some NCAA or sorry, AHL development time as well before he's even close to sniffing at the Bruins roster. But, you know, I'm mildly interested in him. And I did notice him a couple of times at the World Championship. Did, did he catch your attention in any capacity at the World Championship, Victor? No, not really. I The Latvian team in general caught my attention with how strong they played as a team. But no one player really did that. I mean, they had, you know, Rudolph Falsers as an NHLer, a couple of NHLers in there. But no one really stood out. It was really more how they played as a team. And it, it wasn't any one individual. It was it was. You know, the the sum was much greater than the parts. So I actually didn't even really notice this guy at all. When you brought him up, I was like, who? Who's that guy? All right. Well, on that note, let's wrap up this episode, huh? Thanks very much, everyone, for listening to Dauber Prospects Report number eight. Thanks to Kevin Longwell for our logo. Check him out on Instagram at Kevin Longwell. Special shout out. Thanks very much to our fantastic producer, Evan Sabarin. Evan, you're doing a bang up job. Keep knocking these episodes out of the park. I love everything that you're doing. For feedback on the show or to chat with us, follow us on Twitter at DPR underscore show. Myself at Farling, Victor at Victor Nino 12, and Evan at Sabarin 91. You can also like and follow us on Facebook at the Dopper Prospects Report page. Don't forget to follow HockeyPodNet and all the great podcasts on the network. Please subscribe to the show, iTunes, Spotify, podcast aggregator of your choice, and leave us a five-star review. Really helps the show. Even give us a retweet on Twitter. Anyways, that's it for this episode. Thanks very much, everyone, for listening, and enjoy the show, and keep your stick on the ice. We're going streaking through the quad and into the gymnasium. Come on, everybody! Let's do that hockey. (laughs) 